It's Monday, May 15th, and welcome back to another episode of Thoughts and Meditations on Christianity, a podcast devoted to just that. Today marks the beginning of a special three-week look into the differences between the early church and the 21st century church. We begin this week by focusing our attention on the early church. The Christian faith has been around for 1,984 years, and in those years, the faith has departed multiple times from the early church's way of doing things. Most notably, we saw this happen throughout the dark centuries of Roman Catholicism, as this, quote, religion rose from Constantine's Edict of Milan in 313 and later was solidified by Theodosius I, who made this form of Christianity the religion of the state. But it was not until 1517, with the rise of the Reformation and the posting of the 95 Theses by Martin Luther, that light again was shown on the early church's gospel-centered faith and practice. I believe if one were to take an honest look at the church of today, we would see a great departure from the original church, much like with what happened with Roman Catholicism. Many of the churches today are more representative of the world than of the gospel, leaving many regular church attenders with a false sense of security about the sincerity of their faith. On the flip side, many non-believers look at the churches of today and can't help but wonder, what makes y'all so different than us? Hypocrisy in the modern church is rampant. This is not to say that there weren't strands of hypocrisy in the early church. Paul dealt with it on numerous occasions, but today the hypocrisy is swept under the rug or blatantly ignored instead of addressed all under the belief that our church lives are separate from our worldly endeavors. And on top of that, many churches wonder why they have become so ineffective in growing the kingdom of God. But if we would just take the time to learn our own church history and look at the ways in which the early church transformed the known world, we would quickly see that the reasons the modern church seems to be losing, or already lost as some would contest, is because they are no longer gospel-centered. Rather, we see man-centered churches doing things in the so-called name of God. These issues facing our modern church are a big concern for me personally, and I know for many of my readers, the concern is the same. And for this reason, I will be devoting three weeks to these issues, forming a kind of mini-series that I hope and pray will shed some light on these issues and bring people out of the darkness of ignorance and into the light of discernment. For our purposes in this series, I will define the early church as existing between the years A.D. 30 to 33, which coincides with Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and A.D. 155, coinciding with the death of Polycarp of Smyrna, the latest living student of one of the twelve disciples, that disciple being John. And if we are first to understand the differences between our two counterparts, we must first understand the early church. What were its foundations? What were the goals and visions of the early church? What made it so effective in its mission? And finally, what characterized these early Christians? These are the questions we must seek to answer on this topic. Firstly, what were the foundations of the early church? It should come as no surprise to believers that the early church was founded upon the teachings, the work, and life of Jesus Christ. We understand this to be true from the teachings and lives of those who followed Jesus. 
having been transformed from the inside out by the power of the gospel, which in all its glory walked among them in physical form, it made sense that with the departure of Jesus, the early church would seek to emulate the God-man that had walked with them and taught them all things. I will admit it seems redundant to say that Jesus was the foundation of the early church, the foundation that unites all Christians that bore his namesake, and without a doubt there is no Christianity without Christ, but what could easily just be skipped over as an assumption must be articulated clearly, because in today's world, sadly, many churches and professing Christians alike do not have Jesus as their foundation, despite professing his name. Secondly, what were the goals and visions of the early church? A church without a vision is a church destined to fail, and furthermore, a church with multiple competing and conflicting visions is also a church destined to fail. So because of the incomprehensible success of the early church, we must conclude that one uniting vision worked for the early Christians. But what was it? The early church didn't have to sit in committees to figure out what to do with the church. Rather, their goals were handed to them without them even asking. Marking the beginning of the church, Jesus left his disciples with these words recorded by Matthew, quote, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. End quote. These were the goals of the early church. There was nothing fancy about them. They were to make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them. It was a simple yet eternally efficient equation. Secondly, we must recognize that the ultimate vision that propelled these goals was the concerted effort to see God glorified above all else. The glory of God was the overarching message of the Reformation and propelled the Reformers to endure in the midst of papal pushback, criticism, and persecution. Soli Deo Gloria, translated as glory to God alone, has been and will always be the ultimate vision of all believing born-again Christians. As Paul said, quote, We carry out this act of grace that is being ministered to us for the glory of the Lord himself. End quote. Thirdly, what made the mission of the early church so effective? One word, prayer. Our prayers are the means by which God carries out his decrees. They unite fellow believers in one accord while simultaneously changing the one praying. Without prayer, the church would have been completely ineffective in carrying out its mission. We see in Acts 1, the disciples and others, numbering about 120 in total, all gathered for one purpose, to pray. The accounts of Luke says they were all there in, quote, one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, end quote. And this was surely a time of uncertainty, having been told that a, quote, helper would come, but they had yet to see anything and had it been nearly 50 days since Jesus had left. Yet they devoted themselves to prayer nonetheless, asking God to move, and move he did. Prayer was not reserved to the upper room only, but was the lifeblood of a church that would soon explode. And finally, and fourthly, what characterized the early Christians? We've looked at the foundation and the vision of the early church, but what characterized early followers of Christ? How did they live their lives? Rest assured, the Christians of this age looked a lot different than those who profess Christ today. For these differences, we must first look at where it all began, where some 3,000 lives were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
How does Scripture describe these early believers? Luke describes them like this in Acts 2. Quote, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. End quote. Wow. Did you see it? Let's look at that again. They, number one, devoted themselves to teaching. Two, devoted themselves to fellowship. Three, devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Four, devoted themselves to prayer. Five, did everything together. Six, sold their possessions. Seven, gave to those in need. Eight, participated in daily gatherings. Nine, opened their homes up to people. And ten, showed favor to all people. These people who were partakers of the grace of God were not forced to do any of this, but rather it was all out of a natural outflowing of the love of God that now resided inside of them. So we have spent this time focusing in the early church, seeking to understand it in light of the times we live in today. Next week in part two of this three-part series, we will look at the modern church, using the same four questions to hopefully shed some light on the deficiencies of the modern church. Thanks for listening to this podcast. You can check me out on Facebook at brett.flora.9 or on Twitter at 27 underscore brett underscore 91. For a transcript of this episode, check out my website at brettflora.co. Again, join me again next week for part two as we turn our attention to the modern church.